What is good to uh, be with you guys this morning. I want to take just a second and uh, recognize and give a shout out this, um, this weekend. We had our high school SCL retreat. We had over 200 students from all across our campuses that met together down in New Braunfels. And so would you guys stand up if y'all were part of that weekend real quick? Y'all give them a hand. You guys can have a seat. And, uh, and now y'all can go to sleep because I know y'all are going to anyway when I start preaching. So no guilt from the stage from, from me. So we're continuing our Beatitudes. And if you remember, we talked about how that Jesus spent the majority of his earthly ministry talking about the fact that he was ushering in a new kingdom in which he was the king. And then, and then he began his sermon on the mount. He stands on the side of the mountain by the Sea of Galilee, begins to preach the sermon on the mountain. It lasts about 18 minutes. And at the very beginning of the sermon on the mount, he kind of gives this list. And they're called the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes, what they are, is they're the specific attitudes and attributes of you and I who are new kingdom citizens. In other words, if you're a Christian, you're a citizen of this new kingdom, and these are the things, the attitudes and attributes that are gonna show up in your life. Now, what I wanna do before we look at today's is I wanna just really fast breeze over the previous ones because the context of today's beatitude matters. And so in the first beatitude, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's saying that when you realize your spiritual poverty because of your sin, then you'll actually turn to God for help at that point. And that's who goes to heaven, is those who realize their spiritual poverty. And the second one, he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. That once you realize your spiritual poverty, that you cannot do anything good spiritually, then you'll begin to mourn your sin. And when you actually mourn your sin, then there's a comfort that comes into your life that can only come on the other side of mourning that sin. And then he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Once you begin to mourn your sin, then that produces in you a humility or a meekness, which means power under control for the benefit of others. And then he goes on and he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Jesus is saying that, when, that all those previous beatitudes, when they start showing up in your life, they'll produce in you new hungers. And that new hunger for, uh, and thirst for righteousness will actually satisfy you in the fullest possible way that a human can be satisfied. And then last week we said, looked at blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. We talked about that a person that realizes their spiritual poverty, mourns their sin, grows in humility and meekness, is fully satisfied and righteous, will at that point, because of the mercy they've received from Almighty God, will be a person that then shows mercy to others, and that's where we find ourselves. We realize that the Beatitudes are like a chain, or one sort of leads to another, or one sort of, it's like steps, one builds to the other one. So let's look at today's Beatitude, Matthew chapter five, verse eight. It says, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, at first glance, you read that, and we're gonna leave that up there. At first glance, you kind of read this, and it seems out of place. You know, so far it seems like an orderly kind of um, order of truths, and this seems like it's just kind of placed in the middle of it, doesn't really fit. Um, it, it seems like it might make more sense at the very end, that this would be the culmination of the Beatitudes, that you have a pure heart and you see God, but it actually, when you understand exactly what Jesus is saying, it starts making all the sense in the world. And I'll, I'll talk to you about that placement here in a few minutes, but what I wanna do now is let's just talk about what this means. 
What does Jesus mean when he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God? So let's start with the word heart. The word heart in the Greek is cardia. And um, throughout the entirety of the Bible, when you see the word heart used, it's, it's almost always used metaphorically. It's almost, almost always used metaphorically. Jesus is obviously not talking about our physical hearts, but he's trying to describe here what our inner person is. Our heart is our inner person. Our heart is our inner personality, and it's our desires that are inside of us that drive our actions. Proverbs says this, it said, as a, as, a, as a man thinks in his heart, that's who he is. In other words, what it's saying is that what you are on the inside is really who you are. And, and, and that's important because when God looks at us, when he looks at us, he doesn't look at the outside. The scripture over and over again says God not, is not necessarily looking first and foremost at our actions and the outward stuff, but he's looking on the inside. He is looking at our hearts. Okay? And so what Jesus is telling us in this beatitude is what the condition of our hearts ought to be as Christians. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And I'm going to talk about in a minute what that means, what he means, that we'll see God. Um, but he's saying if you want to see God, your inner person, your heart has got to be pure. Okay? So what does he mean by pure? What does that mean? Well, let's look at that word. Look at the word pure. It's a word that means katharos in the Greek. It's a, it's a word, or rather, it's the Greek word katharos, and it carries with it the idea of something that's been completely cleansed of dirt and impurities. So back in the day, if you were a silversmith and you were making silver, what you would do is you'd put a, a fire underneath that silver, and what would happen is that fire heated up that silver, and it would bring all the impurities to the top, and then you'd wipe off the impurities, and that you would keep applying a fire to that silver, and then you would keep wiping off the impurities until that silver was katharos, it's pure. Another way to think about it, another word used to translate it, can be translated to is unmixed. It's unmixed, it's got one element, it's pure. Okay, that's the word that Jesus is using. And so what he's teaching us is this, that in order for you and I to see God, which again, I'll explain in a minute, for you, for you and I to see God, our hearts, our inner beings need to be like that. They've gotta be unmixed. They've gotta be pure. They've gotta have a single element. And those of us with pure hearts will see God. Now, I wanna talk quickly about what kind of purity Jesus is talking about. Because there's different levels and different types of heart purity in the Bible. So which one is he talking about? Well, the first kind of heart purity the Bible talks about is what theologians call positional purity. That if you're a Christian here today, that the moment you were saved, I'm like, the moment you were saved, you received what's called positional purity, which means that when you trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, in that moment, the blood of Jesus, the pure blood of Jesus was applied to your life and your sins were completely forgiven and you were made completely pure in the sight of God. And so in one sense, your positional purity to your salvation, when God looks at you, he sees you as completely and totally pure, okay? But here's the thing. After our salvation, after our salvation, there's another kind of purity that Christians are called to pursue, and that's called practical purity, practical purity. And so even though, even though at your salvation, your heart was made pure in the sight of God, what do we, what do we often do? We still, kind of, we still sin. 
We still fall short of the glory of God. We still fall back into all these other things. And so what happens is why we're pure in the sight of God. Practically speaking, our hearts are mixed. Our hearts are divided. There's, a, there's an old hymn that I love. It's called Come Not Fount that describes this reality of a person that loves God, but we have this mixed heart. He says, I'm prone to wonder. I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. He says, so here's my heart, God. Take and seal it, seal it for your courts above. That is a person that loves God, but is longing and crying out for practical purity, for purity every day of their lives. And so while positional purity is given to you once and for all at your salvation, practical purity, listen, is you striving to live out every day how God already sees you. That's what practical purity is, striving to live out how God already sees you. And so when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, he's talking about that practical purity. It's the kind of purity that you and I as Christians have to fight for every day of our lives, okay? Well, guys, I wanna just stop and address something here and that I think this fight for practical purity, this every day of our lives kind of purity, um, this fight for an unmixed heart is probably one of the greatest challenges I think that is facing our generation of believers. What I'm noticing is that we have a really bad habit of resting on the laurels of our positional purity. And so in other words, we know that when God looks at us, he sees a pure heart because of the blood of Jesus. And so we kind of put on the back burner, this idea that, uh, that even though we're pure in our hearts in the sight of God, we've got to live out every day what God already sees. And then we've put on the back burner this fight for a pure and unmixed heart. And the result is too many of us would claim the name of Christ, but we're walking around with this kind of divided heart. A good example of that in the scripture of what, what a mixed heart actually looks like is the story of the rich young ruler. You got this guy that walks up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, how do I go to heaven? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And, you know, he's obviously heard that Jesus was the Messiah, so he's got this question, Jesus, how do I go to heaven? And then Jesus looks at him and says this. He says, um, you got to follow the commandments. you got to keep the commandments. And then the rich young guy responds, which ones do I need to keep? And so automatically you see that this guy's hedging. Uh, automatically, you, you, you see this guy going, okay, there's some that I need to follow, maybe some that I don't have to follow. So you start seeing the condition of his heart immediately. He's like, hey, which ones? Which one do I need to keep? And then Jesus basically quotes all of them. He says, you, you don't murder. You don't commit adultery. You don't steal. You don't lie. You honor your parents. You love your neighbor as yourself. And then the rich young guy says, hey, good news. I've done all those things. Is there anything I lack? He said, Jesus, is there anything else? I've been doing that for a long time since I was a kid. Is there anything else? Okay, and what Jesus says in that moment is really interesting because Jesus looks at him and says, yeah, as a matter of fact, there is something that you lack. And the thing that Jesus said he lacked was not a 10 commandment. Jesus said, here's what you lack. He said, go sell all your possessions and give them to the poor so that you'll have treasure in heaven and then, you'll come, then you can follow me. Now look at Matthew, don't turn there, Matthew 19, 22. I want you to watch the young man's response. <clears throat> it says, when the young man heard this, he walked away or went away sorrowful for he had 
great possessions. And you see what Jesus just did? Jesus just laid bare this guy's heart. He revealed the condition of this guy's heart because even though this young rich guy was keeping all the commandments, he had a divided heart. His heart was divided. Even though he, from the outside, looked like he loved God because he was doing everything right, on the inside, if you looked at his heart, you realized that part of his heart loved God and part of his heart loved money. And so when Jesus said, hey, if you wanna follow me, if you wanna go to heaven, then you've gotta take that thing that's not me, that's on the throne of your heart, and you've gotta take it off and let me sit on the throne of your heart, and then you can follow me. And the guy wasn't willing to do it, and he walked away. He had a mixed heart. And so here's the question for you. How do you know, and how do I know, if our hearts are pure? How do we know if our hearts are pure? Here's the answer. If you're honestly able to say, God, whatever it is that you ask from me, it's yours. Whatever it is that you call me to lay down, whatever it is that you call me to walk away from, whatever it is that you call me to stop, whatever it is that you call me to give up, God, whatever it is, if you want it, God, I will lay it down. And at the same time, how do you know if you're a believer but you have a mixed heart? You might be a believer with a mixed heart if you say you love God, but at the end of the day, if there's something that he asked you to walk away from, like the rich guy, you might not be able to do it. That's how you know if you have a mixed heart. The picture that Jesus paints of the hearts of his followers really is a radical one. It's a radical one. The picture of our hearts that he's talking about is a radical one. He's teaching us that the innermost parts of who we are cannot be divided. They, they cannot be partly his and partly given to some other person or passion or desire in this world. And I think we live in a culture, I think we live in a culture, a Christian culture, that is not taking very seriously this call to practical purity, of letting Jesus just be the lone person, thing, passion that's sitting on the throne of our heart. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen, I've seen this divided heart pop up at times in my own life. And guys, I want you to know something. Listen, I, I love God. I love God. I love Jesus. I love him. I'm crazy about him. He, he, is, my, he is my oldest and closest friend. He is the love of my life. But I'm telling you guys, I've noticed that I have a really bad habit of reserving big fat portions of my heart for Christ, but at the same time, keeping parts of my heart for other stuff of the world. Because of that, my heart is mixed. Like one of my biggest idols, and by the way, that's what that little thing that you're holding on to in your heart beside Jesus is called an idol. And uh, one of my biggest idols is comfort. <clears throat> We've talked about before that there's four root idols that pretty much all of our sins come out of. You probably struggle with one or a couple of them. And it's, uh, it's, it's power, uh, control, uh, approval, or comfort. Those are the four root idols, a desire for power, a desire for control, a desire for approval, a, a desire for comfort. And that pursuit of one of those four things we allow to kind of sit on the throne of our hearts other than Jesus and mine's, mine's comfort. There's so many times in my life that I can look back when like my desire for comfort and my desire for physical pleasure has been given a priority in my inner being over God. And so at the end of the day, you could have looked at me and on the outside, he thought, okay, this guy has it all together. On the outside, this guy's a complete 
full-on committed follower of Christ, but if you looked on the inside, you realized that my heart was divided. My heart was mixed. It wasn't pure. And so if we're honest, I think there's probably far too many of us that would say, God, you can have everything but this. God, I, I surrender all but that. And what we're about to see, don't miss this, what we're about to see is that because so many of us have mixed hearts, that mixed heart is hindering us and it's keeping us from experiencing the best and the fullest encounter with God on this planet that we can. That mixed heart is hindering us, it's stopping us, it's keeping us from experiencing God in the fullest way he says is possible, right? Let me show you what I'm talking about. Let's look at what Jesus says is the result of you and I having a pure heart, an unmixed heart, okay? Matthew 5, 8 again. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. He said, if your heart's pure, you're gonna see God. Now, I've taught on, on this, uh, this beatitude before in Austin Stone in my previous church I worked at, and I, what I did is I taught on what it mean, what the word pure meant, that this unmixed heart of singular element where Jesus is sitting on the throne of it, and I would just stop. And I wouldn't teach on what it meant that if your heart's pure, you actually see God. And that was a mistake. Because what that shows us is what's at stake when we don't have a pure heart. We, we learn what's at stake if our heart is pure because God says this is what's at stake. You're either gonna see God or you're not gonna see God if your heart is pure or it's impure. And so when Jesus is talking about that, when Jesus is talking about this idea of seeing God, he's talking about a couple of things. He's talking about a present reality and he's talking about a future reality. He's like, okay, when you go all in for Christ and you have a pure heart, there's no other idols sitting on the throne of your heart, then two things are gonna happen. You're gonna see God in a present reality and you're gonna see, you're gonna see God in a future reality. And <clears throat> So let's talk about this present reality that if our hearts are pure, we're gonna see God. What does he mean? Now, we know that he doesn't mean you're actually here on this earth gonna physically see God because the Bible says that's impossible. Uh, Moses said, God, I want to see your face. I want to see your glory. And God said, you can't see my glory. You can't see my face. Because if you see my face, you'll die. And Moses said, I still, I want, to see your, I want to see your glory. And so what God did is God put him in the cleft of the rock and he covered him up. And then Moses got to see just the back of, of, the, of the veil of God or rather the, the I don't can't think of the word, but he saw something in the back of God and, and, and it just lit his face up. But he couldn't see his face or he was going to die. And so what does Jesus mean? That if we have pure hearts, we're gonna see God. Well, the answer to the question is found when you understand that word see that Jesus uses. Because he uses a very specific word and it has a specific meaning. In the Greek, it's the Greek word optonomai. And listen carefully, because this is kind of key for you understanding the whole point of the sermon today. That word optonomai that Jesus says, you'll see God, you'll optonomai God. It's a word that means, a very specific word, that means that you see something so remarkable. You see something so remarkable that when you see it, it stops you in your tracks. It's so remarkable that it stops you in your tracks and it produces inside of you kind of this eyes wide open, jaw dropping awe at what you are seeing, okay? That's the word Jesus uses, this stop, stop in your tracks, eyes wide open, 
you know, jaw-dropping awe of what you're seeing. You experience it so much that it produces awe. Okay, there's other words for see that Jesus doesn't use. Listen, and, and those are words that simply mean you see something and you just notice it and then you move on. You see, you're walking along, you see something, you encounter it, but, but it doesn't, you don't ex- really experience it. You don't see it in a way that, that you experience it where it produces awe in you. You just kind of notice it and you move on with your life. And so there's a couple of types of seeing. You've got the seeing where you just notice something and move on, but then you've got the other type of seeing that Jesus talks about here, which is the type of seeing where you experience it to the fullest in a, in a way that it produces awe inside of you. You fully experience it, and church, that's what Jesus is saying here. That's the word he's using. This is what Jesus means. If you don't hear anything, hear this right here. Here's what it means. He's saying that if you have a pure heart, if you have a pure heart, when your heart, if you've got a heart that is solely occupied by him and not some other passion or person or possession or desire, that that purity of heart allows you to experience God on this planet in a way that produces that eyes wide open, awe-inspiring, kind of experience. What Jesus is saying is that only the pure in heart will see God. Only the pure in heart will encounter and experience God in the fullest way possible. And on the other hand, on the other hand, when you have a divided heart, listen, when you have a divided heart, when you have a mixed heart, that mixed heart clouds and it muddies and it hinders your experience of God. Okay, if your heart is mixed, you can still encounter God, you can still experience God, but that mixed heart will cloud, it will hinder, it will muddy, it will be a watered down version of the experience that people who are pure in heart will experience. And so let me give you a quick illustration here of kind of what that might look like and what that means, and it's kind of a flawed illustration, but hang with me. You know, Jennifer and I, I think it was about 12 years ago, went to Hawaii, and that was the first time we'd been to Hawaii together. And if you've never been to Hawaii, one of the things that you notice pretty quickly is the beauty of it. It's got a level of beauty that is, that's hard to describe. It's pretty unmatched. Um, a lot of places have mountains. A lot of places have water. This place has incredible mountains, incredible um, oceans and water. And so we went to our room. We got off the plane, went to our room, and we did what we always do when we first go to the room is you open up the window, kind of see what your view is like. And, and we opened up the shades there and... We weren't facing the water, but we were facing the mountains behind the hotel, and it was one of the most beautiful things we'd ever seen. There was these just lush, tall, vast, emerald green mountains that just went for as far as you can see, and there was these waterfalls that were all over the place, and we looked at each other, and we were speechless. I'm like, I'm, I'm looking at her, and I'm kind of pointing, and she's looking at me, and she's kind of pointing. We have nothing to say. We just saw this beauty, and we were completely in awe of what we were seeing. It, ju- it blew our minds. It stunned us. And if that weren't enough, we were kind of just sitting there, and finally we started talking like, oh, my gosh, that's unbelievable. <clears throat> and as we were standing there, this, this rainbow, this perfectly clear rainbow formed, and it just went from horizon to horizon and that, that was just too much. We had no words to describe the beauty we were seeing. We were experiencing this beauty in a way that produced in us, we saw this beauty in a way that produced in us kind of this stop in your tracks, jaw-dropping, awe-producing way. And as we were standing there, I heard some noises and 
some screams, and I kind of looked down, and there was this group of boys that were playing basketball in this outdoor gym right below our window. And here's the thing that I noticed as I watched these guys play basketball, that there's these incredible green mountains with these waterfalls and this unbelievable rainbow that just appeared. And it, and it hit me as I watched them that at not one time that those boys stop playing basketball and look up at this indescribable beauty that was right in front of them. And you would think, you would think with this absolutely unimaginable beauty that was right in front of their faces, they would have stopped the game. They would have stopped the game. And like me and my wife stood there in speechless awe at this unfathomable beauty that we were seeing, but they didn't. And it took everything in my power not to open the door, or the window rather, and lean over and go, hey, you knuckleheads, stop playing basketball. Do you see that? But I didn't do it. Now here's the thing, I'm pretty sure that probably over the next couple of minutes, a couple of them maybe noticed the beauty, but it didn't produce in them this stop in your tracks, speechless awe that Jennifer and I were encountering. Here's the question, why? Why did that beauty not produce in them the stop in your tracks, jaw-dropping, speechless awe? And the answer is pretty simple. They were playing basketball. They had other things going on. They, they were playing basketball, and, 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 and there were other things that were occupying their attention. And so while they maybe noticed the beauty, they didn't really stop and were able to experience the beauty because of what they were doing, because of that distraction. That's what Jesus is saying. That's all he's saying. He's saying that if you, if you have an undivided heart, that there is a beauty and there's a majesty and there's a power and there's a love of God that you can experience that when you encounter it, when you see it, it will produce in you a stop in your tracks, jaw-dropping, speechless awe. But if your heart's divided, you're gonna have your heart and your mind in other places and you will miss it. It'll be a clouded, muddied, watered-down version of what God says you'll encounter when you really see him through a pure heart. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Now, ask a couple questions. I'm speaking to Christians here solely. Has your personal worship, your personal worship, has it become stale? Has it become stale? Have your times with God become boring or routine to the point where maybe you don't even, if you're just honest, you don't even have a desire to spend time alone with God? When is the last time, think about it, when's the last time that you, that you got alone with the Lord in his word and in prayer and, and you so encountered his beauty and you so saw and encountered his majesty that it kind of produced in you and, and led to this fall on your face, heart swollen, tears flowing, kind of awe of him. When's the last time that happened? Has it been a while? If it's been a while, then it's entirely possible that you have a mixed heart, that you have a mixed heart. It's entirely possible that that's happening, that you're not really seeing God for everything that he is because maybe unrepentant sin. 
Or maybe, maybe it's not necessarily unrepentant sin, but you have some sort of little G God, this little passion thing that you're, you're holding on to that you won't let go. Like the, like, the, like the rich young ruler, there's that thing in your life that you can't walk away from. Because I'm telling you guys, here's the thing. When Jesus is saying, and he's promising, when you go all in, when you give him your whole heart, when you take all the little G gods off, you're gonna encounter him. You're gonna see him in a way that I promise you will not be boring. What about this? What about your corporate worship? You come into places like this and what happens when you encounter the presence of God? Do you encounter the presence of God in a way that makes you wanna throw your hands in the air? and sing to God at the top of your lungs because of, of the incredible beauty of the gospel and his presence that you're encountering. Guys, I'm telling you, listen, if that never happens, if that never happens, it might be because you have a mixed heart. It might be because that you, you love God, but there's some other thing that you're holding on to, and it's clouding your vision and experience of his presence. I'm telling you, church, the times of my life when I have truly, genuinely felt and experienced the presence of God, when I have truly seen and got a glimpse of his beauty, I'm telling you, I cannot contain myself. It becomes impossible in those moments when you're getting a glimpse of the gospel, it becomes impossible for you to stand there with your arms folded and drinking a cup of coffee. Can't do it. There's only two responses to God's presence in the Bible, just two. When people get a full-on picture of the presence of God and experience of the presence of God, two things happen. Number one, they fall on their faces. Or two, they worship their guts out. It's the only two things that happen. And so if you're never experiencing one of those things, it's probably because you're not experiencing the presence of God. And you're probably not experiencing the presence of God because Jesus says you got a mixed heart. Only those that are pure in heart will see God. What about your walk with Christ? Has it become a burden? Have you lost your joy in your walk with Christ? You read verses like Jesus saying, take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you think to yourself, that's not my experience with Christianity. That might be because you have a mixed heart. I'm telling you guys, every single time in my life, where I look back at my whole walk with Christ and I look back at those specific times where my walk with Jesus was a burden and my time um, and walk with Christ was not joyful, it is because I had a divided heart. The promise of the scripture is that in his presence is the fullness of joy. And so if you're not experiencing the fullness of joy, it's probably because you're not experiencing his presence. And if you're not experiencing his presence, it's probably because you have a mixed heart. Jesus says those who are pure in heart will see God. Um, what about this? What about, um, last one here. What about uh, you see Christians that are around you that are just really radical for Jesus? And you think, I could never do that. You see, you see folks from the stone or other, other people you know that are becoming goers, they're becoming missionaries, they're leaving Austin, they're leaving everything, they're walking away from everything, selling their possessions, going to some crazy country where they might be attacked for the name of Christ. Or, or you meet some person that's like all in, they're just on fire for Jesus in the back of your mind, you think, man, I, I just don't think I can do that. I don't think I could live that way. 
That might be because you have a mixed heart. It might be because like the rich young ruler, there's, you love God, but there's something there that your heart loves that you just can't fathom walking away from. Jesus says those who are pure in heart will see God. And here's the thing, here's, here's the thing. Earlier, remember I told you that, that when you understand exactly what Jesus is saying, then all of a sudden the placement of this beatitude starts making sense. Jesus says, when your heart's pure, you're gonna encounter God in the fullness of who he is in a way that it stops in your tracks, drops your jaw, and you, you fully stand there in awe, encounter of what you are seeing. You'll see God. You know what the next two beatitudes are? The next two beatitudes are, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be sons and daughters of God, and blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so when you, you start looking at those final two beatitudes, then it makes all the sense in the world that you gotta have a pure heart and you gotta see God in all his glory and majesty and beauty. Because here's the thing I'm telling you, there is absolutely no way that you will become a peacemaker in a world full of hate unless you have gotten a full glimpse of God. And then when you got a full glimpse of who he is through a pure heart, you're gonna wanna tell everybody about him and make peace so that they can encounter him too. And I promise you this, there is no way on planet Earth that you're gonna allow yourself to be persecuted when you've only gotten a half glimpse of the Lord. But when you see him, think about Paul. He saw him, got knocked off his horse, and he saw him, and they spent the rest of his days fighting for that practical purity. And then when they came up to him, and they said, we gotta kill you unless you recant. He's like, there's no way. Kill me, I can't. Because when you see God and you've encountered him, that's the only way you'll walk through something like that. When you see God, there's nothing you won't walk away from. When you see God, there's nothing you won't lay down. When you see God, there's nothing you won't walk through. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. <laughs> and I'll end with this. <laughs> it's the last reality of this, this beatitude. The first one is that there's this present reality that we see God with, with a pure heart. We encounter him in the fullest possible way. But then there's a future reality too. There's a future reality that those who are pure in heart will see God. And, 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 and the thing is that while in this life you're never gonna be perfect, you're never gonna be sinless in this life. For those of us that are in Christ and receive our positional purity of heart through the blood of Jesus and then and then pour out our lives and spend our lives pursuing this purity of heart. There's, there's gonna come a day where you live however long of life you're gonna live and then there's gonna come a day where you're gonna breathe your last breath and you're gonna die. And the scripture says that in that moment where you breathe the very last breath and you say goodbye to this world, the Bible says for those of us who, in, who are in Christ, in that very moment, we will be absent with our bodies and we will be present with the Lord. The scripture says that the future reality of those who are pure in heart is that there is coming a day where your faith will be made sight. There's coming a day where you will see Jesus face to face. And I'm gonna tell you guys, I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for that day. It's why one of my favorite hymns in all the world is How Marvelous. Love that hymn. We're about to sing it here in a minute. 
I love that hymn. I love this line because he talks about this moment. We're going to see Jesus face to face. He says, he took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore my burden to Calvary. And he suffered and died alone. So we're singing, how marvelous, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. And then he says, then then with the ransomed in glory, his face I at last shall see. And it will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. I cannot wait for that day. I can't wait. I think about it a lot. I cannot wait for that day when I pass from this life to the next and I see him and I get rid of this old, busted, broken down body that is so hard to lose weight off of. And I have bad knees and I cough during sermons and I'm just, I cannot wait to get my new body and be done with this old one. I cannot wait for the day when I will be perfect and I will never sin again. I cannot wait for that day. I cannot wait till I get to see the old women that love me in this life and are waiting for me there. Not too many men in my family that are there, but there's a lot of women and I miss them. I can't wait to see them. But more than anything, more than anything, I can't wait to see Jesus. I can't wait to see him. I can't wait for that moment when he wraps his arms around me and he whispers in my ear, you made it home. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That is the promise for the pure in heart. And so if you're, not, if you're here and you're not a believer, that's what he's offering you. He's saying come to him and trust Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior. Let him sit on the throne of your heart. Your sins are forgiven. There's gonna come a day where you're gonna pass away and you're gonna be in the presence of God and you're gonna hear the same thing. And for those of you believers, here's the last question. If you could talk to Jesus and he were to look at you and say, you know what? There's one thing you lack. What would that thing be? If Jesus were to say there's one thing that you lack, what would that thing be? Church, I don't care what that one thing is. Let it go. Let it go. Set it down and walk towards Jesus because there is nothing that compares with seeing God. Nothing. Let's pray. What is that one thing? That's keeping your heart from being all in. If you have no idea what it is, ask God to show you today. But more than likely, but more than likely when I ask that, you you know. And maybe you're here today, and, and, and as soon as I started talking about that, you know what that thing is, because the Lord's been asking you to, 
take it off your heart for a long time and you just maybe can't even imagine what life would be like without it. I'm telling you what life's gonna be like without it, you're gonna be blessed because you're gonna see God maybe clearly for the first time. It's gonna blow you away. Whatever that thing is, ask the Lord for strength to set it down. Walk away. Let it go. There's life waiting on you that'll blow your mind. Father, I thank you for the clarity and the power of your word and the way that it speaks to us in such a real and tangible way. God, forgive us when we have forgotten and and lost sight of the fact that there is nothing that compares to you. And so, Lord, give us the strength to set aside, walk away, let go, lay down anything that's gonna hinder us experiencing the fullness of joy in your presence. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do that work now as we sing as a people that have been redeemed, as a people who long for pure hearts so that we may see you in this life and the next. God, I love you and I praise you and ask these things. In Jesus' name, amen.